0: Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14 says this, In him, you, somebody say me, in him, you, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed you, somebody say me, were sealed, where? In him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance. In regard to the redemption of God's own possession, read this with me, these last parts, to the praise of Of his glory. Heavenly Father, we honor you. We give you praise. You deserve all of the glory because of what you accomplish in these two verses. Would your Holy Spirit move in this place and speak to us. Because we want to hear your voice. Because we want to know you, God, because we want assurance. And these verses do that for us today. God, I pray that you would help me, Lord, to present these vitally important verses to this church. I pray that their hearts would be open to hear and that the seed would take root and that much fruit would come from it. We pray this, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen, and amen. As we wrestle through Ephesians, I know that a lot of you have questions because most of this is stuff that you've probably never heard before, you've probably Never studied before. And so, look, I want you to lean in because these next two verses, we can spend two or three weeks on. They're so important. When I understood these next two verses, my life just changed. It shifted because of what it accomplishes for me and for you. I don't know how to adequately describe just why you being here in this moment to listen to these verses is that important other than to tell you that it can shift your life around. And I'm not talking about from a preacherism, here's this is going to change your life. This is literally life changing. So I'm trying to find a way to illustrate and I I find a way. Y'all know I like illustrations. I love it. I got one that I think will work. I think right now I'll we'll give you right, right where you need to be. And I'm not going to scare you, because last week y'all were scared when I was giving you my illustration up front. I was crying, and I said I had a confession to make. And all y'all thought, oh, no, this church is over. He did something. We out of here. I'm not going to do that again, because y'all's heart sank. I knew it. I had my cousins here. They're like, bro, I thought, what did he do? Do I got to get him out of jail? What's happening? I'm not going to do that anymore, because I know you guys can't take a joke. So. We can just keep it straightforward. Do y'all know that the 80s and 90s is coming back now? Yeah, 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 all my 80s and 90s kids, like we're back in our in our comfortable space. Like every, they're wearing clothes that we would wear, you know, they, they said they never wear baggy clothes, now they wear baggy clothes. Next, I'm waiting for them to put them backwards. Who knows what I'm talking about? Y'all look. Y'all don't even know. Wait until y'all see an influencer putting their clothes backwards. Then we'll know they just copying us because they ran out of good ideas. We used to turn our clothes backwards because what's the what's the band's name? The rap, Chris cross. Daddy Mac'll make you. Come on, a criss cross'll make you. A come on, a come on, a come on. Criss cross, man. I'm just trying to tell you, like. I remember I used to have to, I can't wait to put these jeans on backwards. Just, but how am I going to go to the bathroom? We us <laughs> put our clothes on backwards because crisscross Cross put their clothes on backwards. Uh, you guys don't know what y'all are missing. Just wait until that happens this generation. Y'all are going to be putting y'all's clothes on back. It's, it's the 80s and 90s all, all over again. Like the music, um, Kate, Kate Bush running up that hill. That's a jam. Everyone loves it now. Everyone forgot how much of a jam it was in the 80s. The 80s and 90s are, are making a comeback. You know what else is making a comeback it's from the 80s and 90s? Uh, roller skating. Come on. Roller. All of a sudden, everyone wants to go to a roller skating rink. Everyone wants to show the moves they got when they're on the roller skating rink. and they're See, the roller skating rink to us was just like cheap babysitting. Just drop you off at the roller skating rink. I mean, that was the spot where you would go is the roller skating rink. My mom used to always tell us stories about how she would roller skate in the 60s and 70s and how incredible she was and that she could skate backwards. And she'll stand there talking to us about how she could skate in one, just in one place. i just go backwards like this. And I remember I could just go backwards like this. All of a sudden, she had to prove it a couple weeks ago. Because... All of my kids, and I said all of them, and all of my nieces and nephews, they all wanted to go to the skating rink. So my mom broke out her skates from 19 like 73. She said, "I can't wait to go to the skating rink." And we all went to the skating rink, and I was ready. I didn't buy. I didn't get skates because I was about to get out there. Because I don't want to be the one that they catch on video falling all over the place. Because I know I'm going to fall, and it's going to be terrible. I don't just fall, like, gracefully. I fall in sections. It's terrible. Like, it's bad. I I fall in slow motion. It's bad. And I remember they were getting ready to skate, and I was like, it's time to prove that you can do that whole thing. It's time to prove that you can go backwards. And my kids wanted to skate. Now, I forgot that they made skates for kids. And and my, my oldest kids, they had already had some inline skates, and so they, they were ready to go. But I still had, you know, my youngest daughters who wanted to skate. And I really didn't know how this was going to work because when we were young, if you didn't know how to skate, you just went out onto the, onto the floor, the skating rink, and what did you do? You hold that wall. Just do this thing. And then... Right? I mean, that's what we would do. So I was anticipating this is what's going to happen. I'm just going to sit back, have my little slice of pizza that was too expensive and is stale, and I'm going to let them walk against the wall, hold on to the wall. That's not what happened. I was told that they have these little things. They're called walkers. Literally, they look like walkers, the, the older generation's walkers with wheels. And you rent these things, and uh, you have to hold on to holding on to the wall. They're like the cheap. Back in the day, we didn't have this innovation. Uh, You have to hold on to it, lean, and go like this. Now, look, after about five minutes of my daughter's trying this, my youngest yelled out to me, said, Daddy, please, help me learn to skate. She was crying. It was bad. After I laughed a little bit because it was funny, I realized, I guess I got to help her. But that means I got to get on the floor, but I ain't putting on skates. So what, what, what's the solution? Here's the solution. I got to go hold her hand. And so I went up and found Liana. I got rid of the walker because she was trying the walker, and the walker just didn't work. That's a sermon in itself. I promise you I'm going to get to that. I'm going to bring it back. Keep it right here. The walker doesn't work. Just remember that. We'll save it for the end. And she said, Daddy, help me. I said, okay. I picked her up, held her hand, and she started going. And it was good for about two or three minutes. She was smiling. Every once in a while she would fall and I'd pick her up or she would slip and I'd have to hold her up. And I realized, like, this is an actual, like, job this is a lot of hard work on my part because I have to make sure that I'm careful to see is she off balance it, are her are her skates in the wrong direction is she leaned forward too much because you know if you're skating and you lean forward that's it you have to lean back when you skate so I'm doing a lot of the work I'm holding her and I'm pushing her back and I'm getting the weight and I'm shifting her back and forth and she looks at, at me and she goes daddy Make sure you hold my hand. Daddy, make sure you're holding my hand. And I looked down while, while we're doing this thing, and I said, I am holding your hand. I'm holding it. She says, no, Daddy, no, no, no. I'm holding your hand. Liliana told me. Daddy, I'm holding yours, but I want you to hold mine. That's what she said. She so said, Daddy, I'm holding yours, but I want you to hold mine. See, she wanted to make sure that I was doing my part. Liana wanted to make sure that I was doing my part because she recognized, one, that I'm a lot bigger and I'm a lot stronger than she was. And I was able to make sure that she did not fall. So when she looked at our hands, she said, Daddy, you just make sure that you're holding my hand. She knew that if she was going to avoid a fall, it was only going to some because of me. And yeah, she might experience some slipping around and maybe even some some leanings to the left and the leanings to the right. But if I was holding her hand, she wouldn't have to worry about falling. She said, no, no, I don't want to hold your hand. I need you. I was holding my hand so that I don't fall. Hey, I was holding her hand. I was keeping her from falling. And I was watching to make sure that she did not fall. And she didn't even know it. She had this... On me, mine is. Daddy holding my hand. Does Daddy have a hold on me? Does Dad have it all under control? I knew I had it under control. I thought she knew, but she didn't. Here's the reality about me and you and our life with Jesus and and how we look at things after. Think. Oh, we don't really know if God's in control. We. We think, okay, maybe he's got us, I don't know. And and, and we actually think that it's not God holding on to us, it's us holding on to God. And if you've grown up in church for more than a week, someone taught you teaching that told you that your salvation is up to you and how hard you hold on to his hand and how hard you hold on to the commandments and the truth and to discipline and to obedience and i just want you to understand this about god and his partnership with us god is holding on. you won't god is holding on to you he's not letting go you won't fall out of his hands he will not let you go But we're like Liana, Daddy, hold my hand. Maybe you've because I feel like it's just me holding on. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've you've thought that. It's, man, it's me doing all the work. It's me doing all. Maybe I do need to act good and, and keep the commandments and, and do all the. Th- yes, you should, but not because you still need to preserve salvation, but because it's good to be obedient to a heavenly father. And so you've probably wrestled with this emotions of what do I have to do so that I don't fall so that on that day when he comes back, he doesn't look at me and say, I don't know you. Can we just be honest for each and every one of us? These verses are the pinnacle of assurance for each and every one of us. When I was in seminary and my professor taught this, it was chapters on chapters and chapters of books just unpacking these two verses. I'm gonna to try to give it to you in one, maybe two weeks. So I know like sometimes maybe I go more than 35, 40 minutes, but I promise you this right here is the assurance you need in the moments when you feel like you're slipping that your God's got you and that you don't lose what he's given you. No matter how shaky your life may be, no matter how unable you might feel to go through this life, he's got you. Paul is unpacking this in this scripture. He tries to explain just how God holds you. Are you ready? Okay. Ephesians 1.13 says this In him you also, after, listen, listen wait, I'm going to stop. You need to review. What what do we know so far? If you've been in house church, you know this. In the first 12 verses, we've learned how how God selects. The Father selects. The Son saves. Remember? The Father selects. The Son saves. And now we're about to see how the Holy Spirit seals. The Trinity is at work right here. It's a master partnership that Paul is trying to unpack to us. God has selected you. He loves you. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you've done, the difficulty of your past. It doesn't matter if you failed. He picks you. He loves you, the Bible says. He predestined you and he chose you in love. He loves you and that's why he picks you. Nothing you do earns that. He selects you. And then in verse 7 it says that he then Jesus saves you. He redeems you by his blood, covering all of your wrongdoings and forgiving them. And, and, and after each section that where, where Paul unpacks it, he says, he do, God selects you to the praise of his glory. Jesus saves you so that we could be the praise of his glory. And now we're going into the final section. And he's talking about the spirit and how the spirit seals you To the praise of his glory. All of these things give us a reason why we should give God praise and glory. And he says, In him, in him, he repeats this word how many times in the past 12 verses? Over and over again, he repeats in him. Why is it so important that he repeats this, what we call a positional truth? Meaning, he wants you to remember where you are positionally. You're in Jesus. Your blessings are in heavenly places. He reminds us of the position because often we look at our condition the way things are, our struggles, where we mess up, and we think that our condition determines our position. We think that because of the failures that we experience, that our position with God changes. But he tells us, it's not about your condition. You need to hold on to and look at your position. And so he's always reminding us, don't forget this. Remember this. As we get into this next truth, you've got to remember where you are at. It's funny because in the very beginning of the Bible, you see God doing the same thing. With Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin, God comes into the garden, and they're hiding from God because they're ashamed, and God walks into the garden. He's all-knowing. He knows they've sinned. He knows they're hiding, and he asks this question that I think Paul is trying to address right here, and the question is this, where are you? God calls out to Adam and Eve, and he says, where are you? Why are you hiding? The reality is, is we have to come to grips where, to and from where we are at. And if we're honest, our struggle, where we find ourselves, often leads us to do what Adam and Eve do, and that is to hide in shame. Hide in shame and do our best to cover ourselves up. The Bible says they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves up. So Paul is trying to address our position because so many of us, because of our sins, our condition, our fallen nature, we, we then do something like Adam and Eve. We, we hide. And Paul is saying there's no need to hide. There's no need to hide because just like, just like Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with with." Fig leaves and God had to show them that there was something better, and He sacrificed the lamb to sow for them coverings from the lamb. So Jesus has covered you. So Jesus was sacrificed to cover you, and you don't have to hide anymore. So He's giving positional truth. Do not miss this when you read your Bible. It says, In Him, it's repeated over and over because in this next section of thought, this is I think where we where we struggle the most. He wants us to refocus and and not forget the reality that you and me, we are in him. And there are moments in your life where you feel like your actions, your mistakes, they determine the outcome of your condition with God, but that is not the way it works with God. He focuses on your positional truth because if not, you'll trust in your performance. I know you didn't get that, so I'm going to say it again. He focuses on your position because if not, you're just going to trust your performance. Still don't think this side got it. The reason he focuses on position, you're in him, in Christ, is because we are so normally gonna go to our performance. He says it's not about your performance, it's about your position. Your performance doesn't matter. Because of Jesus. Your mistakes don't matter because of Jesus. He focuses on positional truth because we are our knee-jerk reaction, our, our, our place where we most commonly go is how good have I been? How obedient have I been? Have I gone to church lately? Have I, have I done the things that God has asked me to do? Have I done that correctly? Now look, again, I'm not telling you that you don't need to come to church. The Bible says do not neglect the gathering of his people. You need to be here. You need to hear these things because you need to be around others. But this is a part of your obedience that is a different, it's a different place where God's going to speak to you from when it comes to your obedience. Right now he's talking about your salvation. And he says, your position is more important than your performance. This is really hard for us to escape. It's our default setting, each and every one of us. We believe that my value, my standing, my worth is based out of my performance, how good I do. At work, it depends on how good you are. That will depend on whether you get a raise or whether you get another position. The way that you handle things in your everyday life will determine outcomes. And so we think, man, the way I act will determine whether or not God still keeps me. And what Paul is trying to teach us is, hey, you need to change the channel, change the way you're thinking. You didn't make the football team, you made the family. Because on a football team, you can get cut. On a football team, if you make a mistake, you'll hit the bench. On a football team, you can get traded. On a football team, they can pass you up and pick someone else because you're not doing your job. Paul does not say that we've made a football team that is reliant on our performance. He says, no, you've made a family that is dependent on your position. So we have made it into a family where performance is no longer necessary for our good standing, but we're so used to being told, really, we're on a football team. Have you guys ever seen... Um, what is this show called? Where they press a buzzer and it turns around. They sing on, what, The Voice. Here's what I love about The Voice. The Voice used to be one of my favorite shows. Because I thought it was cool, the, 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 the anticipation and the tension of someone comes on stage. And they come on stage in this show called The Voice and they perform. The judges can't see them and the judges have a decision. If they believe that the performance was good enough, they'll hit the buzzer and then the chair turns and it says, I choose you. That show is completely based on whether or not that judge likes the performance. And I believe that most of us, we think that that's our relationship with God. I gotta come out today and I gotta perform i got to do all of this stuff my life one day will be about. Did I perform for him? And and we live in this tension, in this place of I wonder if he's going to hit the button. I wonder if God's going to choose me. But reality is that God chooses us before we even come out that we don't have to perform anymore, that we don't have to grab a mic and do a show for him to choose us. The Bible says he chose us from the foundations of the earth. The Bible says he chose us from before the beginning of time. We were chosen. We were predestined. So he hit that buzzer well before you walked out to try to prove something to him. He doesn't need you to tap dance and hit the high note to love you and care for you. Come on, you should be clapping. He loves you. He cares for you, and your performance will not move the chair. That chair was already turned. He chose you. He chose you. You should remind, he chose me. I don't have to perform. And Paul is saying, you're in the family. You're not on a football team. And Paul says, in him you also. After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed In him. What does this mean? He is giving you the steps to sealing. He's giving you the steps to your sealing. God selects, Jesus saves, the Holy Spirit seals. Here are the steps to being sealed. People want to complicate it, but it's right here. He says, after listening to the message of truth, you heard the gospel, he says. These are your steps to sealing. After you listen to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, meaning the good news of how Jesus saved you by dying on the cross, after you heard that, here's what you need to do. What? Having also believed. That's it. The moment you heard the gospel of Jesus, this word says, The moment that you believed you, it says, you were, past tense, sealed. Where? In him. Ooh, guys, I mean, we could, you gotta get into house church. Because we unpack this in ways that, man, I promise you, you need to hear it. And we're not guessing, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I mean, we've been to seminary, we know this stuff. We want you to know it. Because it's life changing. He says, when you heard it, and you believed it, you were sealed. When you heard it and you believed it, you were sealed. When were you when were you sealed? When when? No? See, you got it wrong. When you believed it, you can hear the gospel and not believe in it. You can hear the good word about Jesus and what he's done for you and not the only thing you have to do is. Believe, and once you believe, you are, come on, and then you are sealed. You are sealed. Once you have believed, the moment, the exact moment you believe, in that exact moment, God seals you, the Bible says, in him. He seals you where? In Christ, again, more more positional stuff. In Christ, why is it important that he would seal you in Christ? Deuteronomy 32, 34. Write it down, write it down, write it down. It says this in in, in Deuteronomy 32, 34. Why is being sealed in him important? It says, I have sealed it up with me in my treasures. This is God speaking. He says, when I seal something, I seal it up with me in my treasury. Say it again. When I seal something, I seal it up with me, God says. I seal it where? Up. With me. In my treasury. The moment you were sealed, I don't know when that was. But it was the moment you believed. Could have been 15, could have been 13, 27. Song came on KSBJ and you thought, I believe. Whatever it might be. In that moment, the Bible says, God transferred you into his treasury. Do you see that? He says, it's up. Anything with the seal is up with me. It's, It's with me. Where are you? With God. With him. It's good news, Hilda. I promise you it's good news. You are up with me in my treasury. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit now does. It is is a work of all three, all three. The Holy Spirit, He indwells, He fills, He baptizes, and He seals. He seals us up. Now, here's what you have to understand There there are some great things I just want you to write down. These are the benefits of being sealed. Why should we be sealed? Number one, security. Security. Write it down. Security. Back then, if you were to seal something, you would seal it with wax and with a signet ring. You'd seal it. And if you were a patriarch or if you were a king and you were to seal something with your ring, nobody could mess with it. No, nobody. The Bible is filled with stories of of. The king having to seal something with his ring, and you were not allowed to mess with it. The reason sealing is important for you and me is because when we're sealed, we're secure. When you're sealed, hey, I'll say it like this, you're safe. When you're sealed, can't no one mess with you. When you're sealed, you're secure. You're, you're secure. There is no tampering. There is no messing with. You're protected. Okay. Uh, another reason why you get sealed and why it's important biblically is for identification. If, you were, if, if, the, if the king's seal was on something, it meant you were identified as being owned by the king. It's, it's like buying a Coke product, or look, I'll say it like this, um, Dr. Pepper and Dr. Thunder. <laughs> Wolves in sheep's clothing, I'm telling you, it's not, the, it's not as good. It's not as good. You ever bought a knockoff of something, and it's just, it's okay. It's it's like got like 50% of what you're used to. It lasts for a little bit, but it's not as good as the real thing. When there was a seal placed on something, it was to authenticate it as being The real thing. Here's what I want you to know about you and how God sees you and how God wants you to see yourself and how you should, the confidence that you should have with other people. When God seals you to him, there is no fake in you. When God seals you to him, there is nothing but realness. There is no Dr. Thunder. No, you're all, you're all, come on, Dr. Pepper. There is no Dr. Thunder in you. None of that. There is no imitation. You are the real deal. And I know sometimes you feel fake. I know it. I feel it. It's imposter syndrome where you feel like, gosh, I really, am I really a believer? Am I a good person? Am I really what this Bible says about me? I keep slipping. I keep falling. I keep tripping up like Elena and Liana on those skates. And you feel that the discomfort of having things move around the way that they do and not having the surety in your feet means that you're fake. And people will tell you, churches will tell you, maybe you didn't really believe they will tell you that. Well, did you really believe when you believed? Who are you to, to ask me if I believed or not? not up to you we go to churches and people that I like to call fruit inspectors they want to know how much fruit you got how much good have you done because we will know them by their fruits they like going to that scripture we will know them by their fruits and the bible tells us we will know them by their fruits meaning and they'll say it like this and look I'm all for it I'm all for this an apple tree will not give you an orange I agree with you but Jesus says that there are vines That he's a vine and there are branches. This is Jesus talking. And there are branches in me who produce no fruit. Listen, you have to get this. Jesus says there are branches in me. That's positional, right? you got to catch this stuff in the Bible. He says I am the vine, you are the branches. There are many vines. Some produce much fruit. Some produce some fruit. Some produce none. There are some of us, we ain't producing nothing. But guess what? We're still in him. So Jesus, when he's teaching this, he's saying, and everybody, I don't care. As long as you're in me, all of you get pruned. That's what he says. He says, those who produce much fruit, I cut them because I want more. Then he says, those who produce none, I cut them. And then the Bible says, and I lift them up. Listen to the tender care of Jesus when he talks to us about God the gardener to those of us who don't produce any fruit. It says he still cuts us because he wants us to produce and then he lifts us up. Let's stop looking at people and say man you ain't got no fruit. You haven't read your Bible. You don't know and you don't have any scriptures on your mind. You can't recall any scripture whenever you need it. You must. Mm, I got a lot of fruit. You don't got none. Mm, I don't know if you're saved. It's wrong. It's wrong. Paul is trying to remind us of where we are at. It's identification. We are, we are the real deal in Jesus. We are we are completely authentic. It's like when you go and order shoes from eBay and it's got that stamp on there that it's been authenticated by somebody. That's who you are. Stamped. Authenticated. Verified if you're on Instagram. You got the blue check. Come on, you got the blue check. Because God has verified you that you are not who you think you are. You're in Christ. And that's all that matters. You're in Christ. It says... It's approval, here's the next one, approval, so it's identification. It's approval. Why is approval important? Because most of us, we, we don't know if God's going to approve of us. How do I know it's approval? John six twenty seven. it says that on Jesus, God put on the seal of approval. It says in John 6, 27. When the, when the dove came flying down, when Jesus was getting baptized, what did God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Did you know that Jesus had not performed a miracle, done a single thing up until that point? He approved him before he even started. If that is not a sign of God approving you from the beginning of before there was time, I don't know what is. Because it says that Jesus had to have a seal put on him. Why do you not have to have one? You got to have a seal. If Jesus got one, you get one. It says that God put the seal of approval on Jesus in John chapter 6. And he puts, when he puts a seal on us, it means we're approved. You're approved. It says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Let me tell you something about your God with, when it comes to how he, how he sees you. He's pleased. Like how? Because he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus where are you in him you're in him all he sees isn't this beautiful that even though you would think that he sees you he sees jesus and that's why jesus did what he did bible says you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise he he promises us something he keeps his promises. Then it says, how long? We need to figure out how long. How long am I sealed? What's the, what's the duration? What's the length? This is so, listen, I want to I I land this plane, hit worship team, and right when I get to about, uh, about three minutes, come on up here. I need you guys to get this. Like I need you to get this part. Because I love you. And because I will fail you if you don't get this next part. Because I've told you, I've told you when, when did it happen? When you believed in Jesus. Why? Because he wants you to be secure. He wants to protect you. He wants to authenticate and identify with you. He approves you. And it also, it's his ownership. When you, when you would stamp something with a seal, it means that he owns it. So he now owns us. You are his. He is yours. We belong to Jesus. So those are the whys. Why does Jesus do that? Where do we go? We are in him. But for how long? How long does the seal last? Now, when you go to the grocery store and you buy milk and you put that thing in your fridge, have you ever gone into your fridge and found something that is way past due of its expiration date but is still sealed? Have you ever found some milk that you bought that you know is past the expiration date but it's still sealed, never been opened? I'm going to ask a question. Can I ask a question? If it's sealed but it's expired, is it still good? We're divided. The room is divided. I don't know. If it's sealed, not been touched, but it's past its expiration date, is it still good? Yeah, I hear yeses, I hear noes." Here's what I here's here's the reality, y'all. This is why y'all are confused, because this is what y'all are asking yourselves subconsciously. This is what y'all are asking yourselves. How long has it been? Right? You're asking. Well, how how overdue is it? Right? You know why you're asking that? Because if it's July and it says June, meh, maybe. Right? If it's July and it's only June, we'll see. Maybe. What do you do? Pop that seal, smell it. I, I want to make sure that you get this the right way. Because I-, I, the- I know you don't see it yet. I really think that when it comes to our sealing, even if I'm teaching you about the seal, you're sealed. You're sealed in Jesus. You're, complete. you're, you're wondering, how long does it last because I don't feel good? How long does this sealing last because I have not been good for a long time? There's a difference when you find some milk that's a month past due versus a year. And I think some of you are wrestling and will wrestle with the reality of your sealing because you feel spoiled. I think deep down you feel like, "Mm, I'm spoiled. I've been sealed since I was 10. Do you know what I've done since I was 10? Do you know the things I've done wrong since I've been sealed? Is it, it, am I still good? You know, that's why the, I'm going to, I got to do it. This is why Catholics give you the last rites on your bed, deathbed. Because they want to make sure your forgiveness is fresh. They don't want it to wait because they don't believe in sealing. They don't believe it. They don't believe you can be. Most of us struggle with the fact of our ceiling because it's been so long and I don't feel good and I do things that I'm not proud of and I struggle. And if you were to look inside of me, if you were to look inside, you would not think I was sealed. You would not think I was good because of the struggle that I have inside, because of the things that go on in my mind, because of the things that I do when no one is looking. There is no way. I can be sealed. It's been too long. Maybe him, it's been a month. Maybe her, it's been six weeks. Me, it's been 35 years. There's no way I'm good. And we think that one day God is going to pop that seal in. We think that God one day is gonna pour us out into a glass and and see uh, based on what I see you're not good. Yeah, I sealed you, but it's you've been living. Come on, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you? You and me, if we're not careful, we will still, this truth of being sealed and being held up in heavenly places and being up there in his own treasury with this seal of approval, you and I will still leave here tricking ourselves into believing that, yo, okay, but it's been too long been too long I'm spoiled inside does the ceiling secure me from spoil does the ceiling stop the spoil yes it does but not how you think Sealing stops the spoil, but not how you think, meaning your condition might not change, it may not get better, it may get, there may be some struggle, hopefully there are some, some moments in your life where you choose obedience. But even if you lived a life that was completely off of what God wants from you, you've been sealed. And that's why grace is so important. That's why grace is why we sing. That's why the Bible says it's grace on top of grace. That's why God, that's why Paul says, who can measure the love of God? It's it's too great, it's too wide, we can't understand it because it's just in these moments where you and me come, come crashing down to the reality of, okay, I'm sealed, but I've been stuck. I've been stuck in this for years. So am I still good? So am I still good? How long does it last? It says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession. We just learned about redemption. Can we get this? I promise you, we're going to run right through it. We just learned about redemption last week. What is redemption? When he buys us back, right? It says that the seal lasts until redemption. That's what it says. It says this seal lasts until redemption. Well, I thought I was already redeemed. I thought verse 7 says in him we have redemption. He's talking about two kinds of redemption. As as someone that wants to learn your Bible, this is something that I have to reveal to you. I can't just pass over it. There are two sides to redemption. There is a already not yet aspect to this. And, And I want you to understand what I'm trying to teach you here. It says, he, this happened as the first installment of our inheritance. We were sealed and the Holy Spirit was given for our first, it's our down payment. God put a down payment. But, Rob, didn't you say last week that there's no down payments, everything is paid in full? Yup. We're talking about two different sides of redemption. There's the redemption that saves you, frees you from the penalty and power of sin. The redemption of what Jesus offers us through his salvation on the cross, it frees us from the penalty, which is what? Death. And the power, it's it's our daily struggle. It frees us from that. But it does not, it does not yet give us the end, which is the presence, the presence of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And that's the redemption that the Holy Spirit works in us. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and now because of this down payment, we're gonna be saved on the day of redemption when He comes from the presence of sin. It's gonna be gone. It's gonna be no, no more sin. What it's what He's trying to say with a payment plan is this is this is what I'm putting in, but there's more to come. That's what a payment plan is. There's more to come. This is so good. It's so good, and yet I'm just giving you a little taste of it, and there's more. To come. He's saying the things that the things that I've given you, this promise that I have for you, it's great, it's incredible, but there is more to come. Hey, what do down payments secure us of mostly? Homes. When you go buy a home, what usually happens? You put down a down payment and it secures your home. It says he has put down an installment, a down payment. And it's for your home, not earthly, heavenly. This down payment of the Holy Spirit, it secures your heavenly home, secures it. You have a place in heaven that God has reserved for you. You have a home in heaven that God has reserved for you. Why? So what's our struggle? Our struggle is, is that we we really don't know. We really don't know how hard our God is holding on to our hands. You're like Liana and you're wondering, are you holding on to me for real? Are you really there? There's this scripture in John 10, 28 through 29. This is what it says for us, John 10, 28 29. Jesus is speaking and he says this, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will what? Snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, my sheep, that's you. That's me, he's given us eternal life. And he says, and where are we? In his hand. And he says, and no one will snatch you from his hand. Hey, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in whose hands you put your trust. It makes a difference in whose hands you put your trust. You hand me a basketball, I'm okay put it in michael jordan's hands that's a different story you had someone told me last week do you play golf no don't do that i'm gonna hurt somebody but you put that golf club in tiger woods hand something else happens we if keep if keeping ourselves saved was up to us we'd fail every single time if it was in our hands, if we could lose our salvation, if we could forfeit it, we would all be in trouble. And you may feel like it's up to you, like you've been taught, I have to do better. I have to do these things. And you may feel that it's you holding on to God's hand and you're holding on for with all of your strength and you're trying to hold on. But listen, you're not holding on to God's hand. He's holding on to yours. He's holding on to yours. And I need you to see this, put it back up, put that scripture back up. It says, and no one will snatch them out, keep that scripture up, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Hey, listen, I need you to get this. No one will snatch, that includes every someone on this planet. Hear me out. No one includes every someone on this planet, there's not a person, there's not even an angel in heaven or a devil in hell that will snatch you out of the hands of Jesus. But wait, you can't even snatch yourself out of God's hand. You can't do anything so bad that you are out of God's hand. Why? Because. You are also a someone that's a part of the no one. If it says no one, breaking news, that means you too. You can't do anything that will make, and I just want you to understand, it is secure. Jesus gives us the scripture, right? This is Jesus, but it gets better. It gets better. He says, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Wait a minute, it's not over. Not only am I holding them, but... My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now listen, if I was holding Liana with one hand, that's okay. You know what's better? If someone else was holding on the other side. More balance, more security. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you double security. It's not just that I'm holding you. It's not just that you're in my hand, but you are also in the Father's hand. I got you, I got you, it's gonna be okay. No one's gonna take you from my hand. No one's gonna take you from the Father's hand. He goes, me and the Father are one. We got you, we agree on these things. No one, even you, no one put up that other scripture I don't know which one it is but I feel like I got to read it there's another one you got to read it where's it at not John 10 not John 10 next one next one Hebrews and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the place once and for all having obtained eternal how long is this eternal how long is this eternal God's got you not just to the day of redemption but when eternity. Jesus purchased this for you with his blood. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He did this. And we're good. We're good. Hear me out. Walkers don't work. Remember I said I was going to bring that back. You're holding on to some other things trying to make sure that you got your balance. They don't work. Only thing you need to be focused on is whose hands am I in? I'm in Jesus's and I'm in God's. And no one's going to snatch me from his hand. That, my friends, is called eternal security. 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 He's got you, He's holding on to your hand, and He will never let you go. So stop trusting walkers. Trust your heavenly Father who seals you, who seals you, and he gives you this installment in your inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession. Here we go. What should we all be doing at the end? To the praise of his glory. Come on. To the praise of his glory. We should be giving him as much praise as possible because he's made it completely possible. That we would enter into heaven without any, any questions. No matter what we do, we praise His glory. Praise Him. I'm asking that you would start living a life that praises Him, because you love Him and because you're grateful, not because you have to, because you want to. Because you want to. I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to stand.